Why problem make when you no problem have you don't want to make? RPG podcast. I'm in Max, 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 Pursuing the RPG hobby with reckless abandon. Why, hello, and welcome to season 28, episode 2 of Happy Jack's RPG podcast. My name is Stu. This is Happy. I'm Kate. And I'm Kurt. Well, hello, Kate and Kurt. How are you? Great. Doing well. Excellent. Yeah. I didn't mean to, like, commingle you, but. I just did. <laughs> I mean, we are we are commingled, so that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> in this in this episode of Happy Checks RPG podcast, Jonas writes in about finding his online gaming groove. Dave from DC writes in about flashbacks, and Tappy has an idea for a pendulum swinging with regards to role playing games, and that excites me very much. And also, we're going to talk about uh, the lighthearted Kickstarter, which is going to be starting very soon, isn't it? Is it live? In fact, it, uh, it'll be going live on the 26th, so on Tuesday at 9 a.m. PST. Excellent. So soon. And they would go to what URL for that? They would go to lighthearted.games. Lighthearted. All, uh, lighthearted, all one word, dot mm-hmm. games with an S. Excellent. And that's hearted, I'll put it in the chat. Hearted, H-E-A-R-T-E-D, not H-A-R-D-E-D, right? Correct. Okay. Lighthearted. <laughs> lighthearted. L I G H T. Just lighthearted. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but if you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. We're on the social meteors, happyjacksrpg, all in word, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and MeWe. And also, if you'd like to watch the show live, we do it at 7 p.m. Pacific time at happyjacks.org slash live. Happyjacks.org slash live. 7 p.m. Pacific time. So what's your elevator pitch for uh, the lighthearted RPG? Now you're running, we should mention you are running a uh, an actual play on our right. play feed. I've, right I've, been, I've been running a, an actual play of lighthearted on the Happy Jacks uh, Twitch channel for uh, six, a little over six months. We're coming up on episode 15, which is uh, should be our big finale. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see. I uh, It's it's shaping up to be exciting as the players sent me messages that they were changing their whole plan two days before the game day so fun <laughs> like all good players <laughs> so who knows what's gonna happen uh it'll be fun um the elevator pitch for lighthearted or do you want to take this one or should i no no you go for it okay the elevator pitch for lighthearted is that it's a, a magical 80s rpg uh you play out the coming of age stories of 80s movies and tv as a uh, prep jock geek rebel uh or outcast uh, except you're just about to start magic community college so it's like a mashup of the breakfast club and the magicians Cool. It's St. Elko's Fireball. Yeah, St. Elmo's Fireball. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And lighthearted. Uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite uh, concepts somebody ever had was a correspondence mage, but not correspondence magic. Like you wrote in to a correspondence class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I went to back wizard college course, back when correspondence classes were a thing. Yeah. Um. <laughs> kind of like the witch in Bedknobs and Broomsticks, where she yeah. learned all her magic through correspondence course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's well. That's how Harry Dresden learned Latin. If you ever read the Harry Dresden books, yeah. <laughs> said, exactly. I, I got my degree at the University of Phoenix uh, Sorcery. 
College of Sorcery at the University of Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I bet you one American dollar that exists. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? They might have one at the Universal Life Church. And for a self-addressed stamped envelope, you can probably get a diploma from there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I got re—I got re—what um, uh, do you call it? Ordained from there because I couldn't—I oh, fi- couldn't find my ordination card because I'd had it since the nineties. Hmm? I had to marry someone recently because you know pandemic going on. So they were like, well, we're just going to do it just us because we want this date. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go to their house, and we all like stayed safe and stuff. But like, I had to marry someone recently, and it had been twelve years since I used my my uh, ordination from the American Marriage Ministries. See, I I only performed one wedding, and that marriage lasted three months. And I figured, you know, oh. nope, I'm I'm cursed. I'm not doing any more weddings, and I have not done one since. I've been asked. I've been asked a couple times, and I'm like, are you sure you want me to do that? Because the last wedding I officiated lasted three months. <laughs> What if you actually don't like them? Well, usually people who don't like me don't ask me to marry them. No, no, no. <laughs> Except for two like wives. You. What? They might like you, but you don't like them. <laughs> this will learn them. That doesn't, that, doesn't happen, that doesn't happen that often. That doesn't happen very much. I, I, I would find it very difficult to not like someone who likes me. It just, I thought I, it you were going to say, I, it's very difficult for someone to like you if you don't like them. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's true, absolutely. Who would, like to read, uh, who would like to read the first email, Finding Online Gaming Groove? Or, or should I read it? Uh, it shouldn't be me, because I don't have it up. Okay. Oh. Should I read it? I can read it. Yeah. Okay, oh, go, go ahead, Kate. All right. Uh, finding the Online Gaming Groove. I would like to dedicate this letter to my friend and longtime listener, Andreas, that unfortunately has left us. It's hard to write about. Uh, it's hard to write about. He was so. He was so content before the end, and had won had just won a couple of dice from one of your Rainbow Railroad drives, dice that, oh God, dice that had been touched by Stork. Andreas passed away just a couple of hours after he had made skin contact with them. He got mauled by a bear that he had read about in the newspaper, leaving behind his wife, two children, and three RPG characters he liked to tell me about. I should have done. Uh, I should have done something, Andreas. Sorry for being a bad friend. I got to say, when I and, when I first read this email, I just skimmed through it. I'm like, oh my god, Andreas died! Holy shit, this is awful. Yeah, I didn't read I, like I, the second I, and third paragraph. <laughs> when, when, when I first read this, because I read it earlier, I also had the same reaction. Like, oh my god, what is this guy? And then I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay. I read, yeah, when I got to, like, uh, mauled by a bear, I was like, oh, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's possible people go, get mauled by a bear all the time, but right. usually yeah. it doesn't have anything to do with Stork. No. Unless Stork <laughs> is now a bear trainer <laughs> since the pandemic started, which yeah. is I mean, not impossible. You never know. I mean, people are taking up all kinds of weird hobbies right now, so. He's, he's got a big backyard. He could start a drive through zoo. Yeah. Like the Tiger King or whatever his name was. Yeah, he'd be Bearzar. <laughs> and talking about being bad at stuff, I need help being a better RPG player online. 
I'm mostly a GM and wrote a letter to you a couple of years back on how better transit to other side of the table. How to better transit, trans, whatever. Anyway, you know what I mean. <laughs> I, got, I got some nice, the word is spelled wrong. I got some nice pointers like don't have a cow man from Tappy and helped me ease into the player seat. What, but once, but I once again feel lost in the new world of online play. My problem is twofold. I find it hard to step into my character's shoes and struggle to read the rest of the room. This leads to that I most—I mostly sit quiet through the whole session, slowly turning back into the sh shy, dire wallflower from my youth. So what can I do to become a better player? How can I make the experience better for myself and the other players and the GM? I will probably come with practice, but I wouldn't mind some insight from the pros. Johannes Larson in morning. <laughs> or afternoon. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> so I have a, a, a tip real fast, and that is make sidebars. Like start messaging people because that will create oh. opportunities for your player to do things. So while while other people who might be more outgoing are talking to the GM, you can like ask questions or like, you know, I'm going to do a little thing or I'm going to go talk with this person and just do little sidebars because those will create opportunities later on. Those will pay dividends. Maybe maybe not even that session, but especially if your GM is really good, um Later on, those things, maybe not even consequences, but it will open the door for you to, to play more. Um, in my ancient um, uh, Traveler game, that happened a lot with Bill and Shing, uh, and Jessica too, where somebody would be talking a lot because uh, a couple of the players are just very gregarious. Um, and um, uh, so while a lot of talking was going on, they would just quietly be doing stuff or asking questions or figuring stuff out with me. And it kept them engaged in the game if they weren't just laughing their heads off on what other people were saying. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I love uh, playing online as opposed to playing in a room. Uh, because you can do that. Oh, you're talking about because people can have, can have sidebars like through a chat or something without, exactly. without having to interrupt anything. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. And also, I I really believe that uh, secrets are better when nobody knows that a secret is being kept, um, because that really changes how I agree uh, how people play. Um, mm -hmm. And like, um, um, oh, what was it? I have I was I was recently like uh, researching a whole bunch of stuff on uh, bias because once a player gets an idea in their head, they will latch onto that like. A fucking lamprey. Mm -hmm. So when you have these sidebars, you can have other ideas and other things happening that don't necessarily influence, like subconsciously, what the other players are doing, right? Um, so I think that I just love it. I, I really enjoy that. And as uh, somebody super ADHD, I will forget an idea that I had within five minutes. So if somebody is talking and talking and talking, I can like write something to the GM and start like having something happen relatively quickly as opposed to suddenly like just thinking about the battle of Tsushima or something like that. <laughs> just that happens. Right. 
And I, I super agree with that because when you're at the table, if you write a note and you pass it to the GM, everyone sees that happen. And it's hard to put it out of your head and not metagame or not, you know, hold that in your mind and go, oh, that person just passed a note. What does it say? They're doing something secretive. They're doing, you know, they're up to something. I'm going to be suspicious of that character that's in our group because they've been passing notes to the GM. So obviously they're pulling some, you know, like it's hard not to do that, not to have that bias. Right. Oh, sure. Even though, you know, even the best players who try not to do that, like you still have that in the back of your head. It's still influencing some of your actions or that trust for that fellow player or whatever. Like it's still going to influence your play. Right. But online you can just send those private messages to your GM and, maybe be a little nefarious or maybe have your own investigation going on or whatever. And the other players don't know. And so it's not affecting the trust of the team or the, you know, your biases or whatever, because no one knows you're passing notes. I I believe it's called anchoring is the concept, like the specific type of bias. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, like if you think that uh, like in the first session, if you get an idea that this character can't be trusted, you're not even you're you're not even considering that it's a bias or like the player can be trusted, but like this character is doing like a thing. So I will never trust that character. I will never do anything along with that character. I will always fight that character, and it can be a problem. Okay. And even positive ones too. Like you know you get it in your head that this person helps you or something, and then you get that anchoring on on the other side. Um, and as a GM, you can use that, but as players. Especially if you're trying to create opportunities for yourself and ones that might be surprising or interesting for the other characters, not necessarily stabbing them in the back, but like having the thing happen. Like uh, uh, Shing, her character had no idea, and she had no idea that Bill was murdering people who were like either threatening her or looking like they were going to do something to her or whatever, he would just like, you know, pat her on the head, let her go, and then like slowly cut somebody's throat. And literally nobody in the party knew that was happening. Um, and he had, because he was like a mob boss, he had all this extra information, but he, he wasn't like sharing that with everybody because he's a mob boss and he's retired mob boss. And like that has a whole lot of complications with everybody in the party, but he had, so, but I gave him all this extra information. He kept on asking me via messengers like, uh, okay, I want, I'm going to send a, uh, uh, email or whatever it is in traveler, uh, to this person. It's going to like, uh, uh, Oh, what the hell do they, a courier, like a courier with this message to go somewhere else to reach somebody. So, like, months later, all of these, like, things he was doing in sidebar started paying dividends, and things started happening for the characters that allowed them to do, like, these huge world-ending things. Um, but all of that was just Bill having ideas, and, you know, while other people were doing stuff, just opening all of these doors for him. Right. I mean, the... <clears throat> I... I... I don't know where his lack of uh, participation comes from. If it's coming, is it coming from shyness? He says he's a dire wallflower. Mm-hmm. Is that like a I dire think that wolf? If that's a giant wallflower with teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and it could be because he's they're they're playing online. He may not know the people he's playing with because a lot of people clam up when they're around people they don't know. Um, but I mean. I, I, the other thing he could do, if if he wants to just be a, a more of a, 
more of a present player as far as as being being involved in what's going on he should maybe set himself some sort of a goal like say every hour i'm going to make some kind of a suggestion whether it's stupid or smart whatever comes to my mind i'm going to do i'm going to do this thing and just set yourself some kind of a <clears throat> a goal to do to to do something uh, and it and and maybe maybe it is mo- even more to bring other players in or to include yourself in what other players are doing it doesn't necessarily have to be i'm going to go off and do this thing but it can be if you know you know depending on the role of the character you know maybe he's the muscle in the party and say oh well so and so is going to go talk to someone i'm going to go out and go with him i'm just going to make sure everything goes fine you know and just and just to just make an effort to it even if you're not being super proactive, make a, make an effort to make sure you're always on the scene whenever there's whenever things are happening, because if you if you're hanging back, of course that's when you miss out. That's when like when someone says, "Oh, I'm going to go over to this place," and and the GM has decided, "Oh, that's what that's the place where the where the ambush is." Well, no one went with them, so so and so is getting ambushed, and everyone else at the table is like, "Can I can I be there?" <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> But be the be the guy who's always there, who's always got the other players back. Yeah. You know, my my other suggestion would be, you know, you you asked how can I make the experience better for myself and the other players and the GM. You know, I've had the conversation with people about making space at the table for people, um, and maybe it's a conversation you could have with your group about you not feeling comfortable or being shy, and so you don't know how to make space for yourself. And so then maybe your friends that you're playing with, obviously they're your friends or you wouldn't be playing with them, can help you with that. And so when they're going and doing stuff, they can say like, hey, whatever your character's name is, come with me. And so then it's not you always having to insert yourself, but it's them remembering to bring you along as well. So if you tell them you're struggling to remember to do things, then maybe they'll remember to drag you along with them. Mm-hmm. You know, and have that have that conversation with your friends. Like, hey, I'm struggling. Could you guys remember to make space for me at the table? In small things like saying, you know, hey, drag me along to the adventure. By saying, like, hey, Bilbo, let's go find the ring. <laughs> Whatever. You know? You know, that's an awesome idea. Like, that reminded me when you are talking about... Um, have you guys... Did you guys do vampire LARPs? at all so doing vampire larps is basically you're playing an npc for the gm's friends <laughs> it really is because the gm has a story that is for his his or hers or their friends and uh, and then you have 20 or 30 other people who don't even know the story <laughs> just kind of doing their thing right so what ha- what ended up happening is I would play with my friend Jessica, and Je- Jessica's been one of my best friends for like twenty years. Uh, she also happens to be a stunning redhead model, and so I would just hang out with her, and then the GM or the GM's friends wanted to include her in the story, and then I got included in the story because I was always 
next to her and we had like a connection with our characters so mm-hmm. build a connection like even like when you're making characters like whoever is the most gregarious person just be like hey i'm your bodyguard or i'm your little brother or i'm your dad <laughs> right and create these these intrinsic kind of things because that will uh make it so that you always have a connect- connection with this person who is always doing things because like Jessica didn't really have a choice she was always getting roped into everything like things were just <laughs> happening to her right um oh, yeah I think I think what you're saying there's great idea I, I think I think that's the the way to go um I mean I don't know what game you're playing I don't think you specified which games you're playing but I mean things like Dungeon World started doing this. A lot of games have ties and connections and, and bonds that you form with the other characters. And just by pointing at the most, you know, boisterous character player and saying, I'm your characters, whatever, or I'm going to do this for your character. And then now you have a reason and a way to cheat yourself into that scene because you, you have a motivation now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also I'm also a little more story game bullshit writer's room play style. So I tend to go the flip side of the like, secrets are secret and i just say hey i would think it's really cool if my character gets to do this in this campaign who wants to help me get to that point uh and then we'll just like talk it out uh, from like a really high level of hey let's make this happen with our characters or wouldn't it be neat if our characters ended up together in the end and then now you know that that's the goal and you play with that the whole the whole time we played a game where I, I tend to be a very active player in games. Um, and we have a friend who tends to be the shy guy who sits in the corner. And he just made the declaration that his character was my familiar. And he just, he just made that declaration he, that he is a crow and that he is my familiar. And I went... You yeah, that's you are oh okay, um, that that's great. I've always wanted a familiar. Uh, I didn't realize I get a familiar. That's amazing. And so the whole game, he was my familiar, and it he played and was so much more active in that game because he just at the very beginning of the game. We all made characters, but he didn't tell me while he was making his character that that was going to happen. But first scene, first game, character introductions, he said, I'm your familiar. (laughs) I was like, that's amazing. (laughs) And then the rest of that campaign was so much fun and so amazing. And he was very active because I was constantly going, oh, my gosh, where where is he? He needs to be with me because he's my familiar. We need to because we needed to be doing things. Mm. Now, was his character you know? a crow before he declared that his character was your familiar? So this was from a Dungeon World <laughs> game, and there is a uh, a familiar playbook. Oh, there that is. We found when we were making when we were all doing characters. He goes, don't tell anyone. And I was like, okay, you can play the familiar. And he just showed up. He didn't tell me who he was going to try to be their familiar. <laughs> I thought he was just going to be like an abandoned familiar. <laughs> That's so sad. Awesome. <laughs> it's like an abandoned teddy bear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, he uh, just declared that he was mine, and it was great. Because he was so much more active. Well, and like Apocalypse World does that with the Skinner, is this person is your lover. 
right? And it, it, that that is a thing now that that exists that is happening. Yep. It, 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 think about it. It's kind of brilliant to to have players play familiars because familiars are the ones that it depends on the on, on who's playing on the table. But a lot of times they're the ones that go into the really dangerous shit. It's like, well, we don't want to go in there. What's in your familiar? <laughs> the players yeah. are out. I'm not going in there. <laughs> you could go off and just steal things and right. come back and be like, "Well, you said you needed more components," and I was like, "I meant buy them. I didn't mean run off and go steal them." And he would just he would hear me say things, and then he would just, he would just take solve off. Problems. He would just solve problems, <laughs> and it was amazing. Where did you even find a capybara? <laughs> No. It, it was it was honestly one of the most fun games we've played because he played my familiar and he would just decide oh she has a problem I'm going to solve it mm-hmm. and sometimes it was not in the ways you would expect. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. If you got a problem, yo, I'll solve it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, Jonas Larson, and uh, condolences for the loss of Andreas. Yes. Yes. Very tragic. Yes. <clears throat> I think I read something about the bear attack. Do you have bears there? <laughs> they have bears there? I think they probably got bears there, don't they? They have bears everywhere. Where? They, they, I mean, they, they, well, they're in the Scandinavian countries. Oh, it just says they're uh, in mourning. I don't know where that is. <laughs> hey oh. Uh, <laughs> I think they're like they're from I'm sure they're bears. Norway or, or Denmark. One of those places. <laughs> uh, brown bears. California, okay. so. Yeah. yeah. So, you know what the different cuz you know brown bears and black bears can both be brown and black. Of course. Um, right. You know how to tell the difference between a brown and a black bear? I'm sure you do, Sue. How? Uh, you climb a tree, and if it climbs up after you, it's a black bear. If it knocks it down, it's a brown bear. <laughs> that's, how you, that's how you do it. So in Scandinavia, they don't have many trees, obviously, because they keep on checking to see if the black bear, which doesn't exist. But they do have the trolls. Oh it didn't play. Damn it. Oh, well. <laughs> I was going to play my way, problem make. Um, uh, flashbacks from Dave in D.C. Does someone read this, or should I read it? Uh, I can read it if okay. you want. All right. All right. Uh, flashbacks from Dave in D.C. Dear Stu and the rest of the crew, Dave from D.C. here again. I just listened to Season 27, Episode... F- uh, Something. <laughs> episode something and felt want uh, and wanted to wanted to address uh, two of the topics discussed flashbacks and pacing while I have never a games oh, is there a word missing probably uh, while I have never seen a game system which had specific flashback mechanics in it nor have I used flashbacks for deep character backstory or retconning I have used a flashback in one of my convention games to to help set the pacing of the game. Again, I use Savage Worlds to run Agents of Shield convention games. The event description for the games uh, for the game stated: Intel comes from the location of the secret Hydra base, where it is believed that their scientists are conducting experiments with the shards of a destroyed cosmic cube. Needless to say, anyone in possession of even fragments of the Cosmic Cube represents a threat to the security of the entire planet. The Avengers are being sent in with S.H.I.E.L.D. support to destroy the base and contain any amount of Cosmic Cube material found. However, S.H.I.E.L.D. Director Maria Hill has a special mission for your team. While the main assault is happening, your team is to 
Redacted level 10 authorization required. So the players signing up knew they were playing shield agents on a special mission and that an assault on Hydra uh, on a Hydra base would be happening. But that uh, but they might or might not be directly involved. When the players got to the table, they chose characters. The character sheets were cl- this is long. Jesus, okay. uh, <laughs> we can split it up if you want to. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, <clears throat> shit, I lost my place. Uh, character. They chose characters. Character sheets were clear that they were members of a tactical team with specific roles such as team leader, medic, computer specialist, field interrogator, etc. But again, the character sheets did not give any clue as to the mission. After I did a quick review of the basic rules of Savage Worlds, Benny's, Wild Dice, and uh, Cards for Initiative, for those who had never played this, played before, I started the immediate. I started them immediately in media res. I, I described to them that they were a fully equipped tacti- tactical team sitting in the back of a Quinjet, which was lit in a red light to preserve their night vision. They could see past the pilot and co-pilot out the front canopy that they were jetting through the night sky and that they were there was a crew member at the electric warfare station ensuring that they were undetected. Affixed to the front of the GM screen... Uh, was a sign which had the word NOW printed in bold Comic Sans letter font. <laughs> Since the game was based on comics, this was the the only proper use of this font, in my opinion. <laughs> nice. I hadn't pointed it out, but it was clearly visible to all players. Then I had the NPC crew chief in the back of the jet address the characters, telling them, Stand up and hook up! We are five minutes from the drop zone. At that point, I, re- I flipped the sign over and the other side, which were then read, uh, which read then. Again, appropriately in bold Comic Sans font. As the scene continued with the characters re- uh, receiving their secret mission briefing back on the shield. Oh, Hell that's character. so fun. What a neat idea. So they're like all so, super confused and shit at first. Got it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Now is like telling you this is happening and then they flip it and now we have context. That's, that's a good way to do that. <laughs> uh, the players then got the information they needed and could do some planning. To be fair, insert appropriate letter Kenny inspiration inspired repetition. To be fair. To be fair. (laughs) It was a convention game, so it was already going to be fast-paced enough to fit in a four-hour game block. However, the initial media res uh, the initial media res scene was with the flashback to receive the actual briefing impressed upon the players that at a point in the not too distant future their characters were parachuting out of the back of a jet in the middle of the night to assault an objective. As a result, despite giving the players ample real time to be briefed, plan and equip themselves, the initial scene impressed upon them the need for expediency and the experienced players planning uh, whoops and the players dealt with their planning and equip, equipping in a fairly quick manner it is my experience players planning for a heist or mission can take can often take forever often wasting entire game sessions on it the fact that the planning was happening in a flashback and the players knew that when the game time returned to the present they were jumping out of an airplane in the middle of the night really focused them. That's awesome. The the now-slash-then storytelling mechanic is used frequently in comics to show flashbacks, so it worked well in my comic-based game. Anyway, 
that is my experience with using a flashback in-game. While it didn't do a deep character development, I think it worked well to impress on the players that the mission in the scenario was one where time was of the essence and they needed to keep pressing forward. Keep up the great content, grab yourselves a puppers, and have a drink. David from DC. Thanks, Dave. That's such, such a, a pupper, that, that letter Kenny reference. Uh, letter Kenny yeah. beers. Uh, That's the beer they drink. That I'd have a puppers. Brew. I'd have a pup. I'd have a beer. I'd have a dart. He's <laughs> um, a piece of I, shit. I love flashbacks. I, I think they're great. Um, I've played a bunch of Blades, which has a flashback mechanic built in. Um, so I, I I especially like the way that they built it into the genre by using the now then in the in the font on the front of their GM screen. Oh yeah, like to make it feel in fiction <laughs> even that it, this was like this is the movie we're building, and then bam, we bounce bounce back. Yeah, that was very smart. Yeah, I, I, I'm totally going to steal this idea the next time we have a game convention. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, such a good idea. It's it's awesome. I don't <clears throat> think I'll ever use it because I don't have a story when any game ever begins. <laughs> My story is always let the players do things and then that will lead you to where the story goes. Right. Um, and so I think this type of mechanic is great for establishing like a beginning or lore or whatever for like when you have a story in hand um yeah it also sounds like a lot of work i, I don't know if it would be that much you didn't, you're, know, just, you're like, just gonna have extremely confused players for the first five or ten minutes of the game and then then you have the flashback and then they're like oh and now they have a little bit of context of what there it is they're planning too I've had some great experiences with flashbacks in games. The first time I played Blades Blades in the Dark at a con. Uh, so Blades in the Dark is it's a like sort of gothic horror, gothic dark uh, Dark Souls type of vibe. Uh, but you are criminals doing heists and things like that. The whole premise of the game is that you're going to go do a bunch of heists, uh, and so it needs a flashback mechanic so that you can Ocean's Eleven it right, and you right. can just get there and you don't spend three sessions planning because, and then it doesn't work anyways because. It all just goes out the window the second you 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 know get into the the place or the vault or whatever. So it has a mechanic where you can just say, "I'm going to spend some stress. I'm going to introduce a scene, or I'm going to say, oh, well, now here's where I tell you that we actually met with this gang and uh, arranged for them to show up to help us here. So we're actually not outnumbered. We planned for this, and then you'd go back and you do the scene and see if it works, right? See if you're able to, or maybe they screwed you after all, or whatever." Um, the way it worked out in the con game that I played is we all sat down to get the, the, it was like the default adventure that you're supposed to get where you open up and the guy is like, here's your trunk and I need you to deliver it to this place. And, uh, you're supposed to just negotiate for money and then go do the job. And halfway through, we were like, this guy's kind of a douche. I don't think we actually work for this guy. I think we're going to flash back to where we planned to rob this guy. And the whole game changed, and now we are here to rob him. And the, the, the taking of his job is just a ruse to get into his base. It was, a, it was a great game, and it all happened because of that mechanic that let us just change, the, change our whole plan. That's awesome. <laughs> That's a brilliant well, I can see, uh, you know, not that I need to plug Lighthearted, but I could see using our montage um, mechanic in Lighthearted as a flashback mm-hmm. mechanic because um, there's a mechanic in Lighthearted where you, you have the players 
do a montage scene where they just say like little bits of information about what they did. And I could see doing that, like where you get into a thing where they're like, Oh wait, we wanted to have prepped for this. And you could say like, okay, well let's do that in a montage. How did you guys prep for this? Um, and so I could see using a montage as a flashback. Mm-hmm. That's like the A team, like the montage is like the A team when they're going to be building something. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or when somebody gets really good at something in an eighties movie, like you can't yeah. like it at all. Yeah. Hold on, let me just uh, learn kung fu real fast. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah, I can. Have, I, I can turn this into Camaro. Like that, where it's like everybody did adds something to the scene, and mm-hmm. all the characters add something to the scene, so we call it a montage. And so you can see using that as a flashback. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll let you all on, in on a little secret. Because uh, so, Dave from DC, I didn't steal this. Uh, th- I'm already planning on opening up and media res on our, our our last one and giving all the characters a way to do flashbacks so oh, that good. they can plan. Yeah, <laughs> I think you may have done a flashback with a montage before in a game I've played with you. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I'm thinking yeah. like. Haven't we done that before? Well, I mean, okay, so now we're talking about lighthearted. Shut me up if you need to. No, go ahead. Uh, yeah, go ahead. So the, the, the game is structured with uh, film language. So, like, all of the scene types are scene types. Like, it's a it's uh, a wide shot or a, a close-up or an over-the-shoulder or, like, everything is all built into that. And the, the way that you run those scenes depends on where the camera is, right? And so having a montage in that, it makes sense because it's like, oh, well, we're building a TV show. This is the, the moment when we would have a montage to do the research because, you know, nobody wants to just listen to me give you information. Let's show what it looks like when your characters are in the library. And, you know, it's that moment in Buffy when they just do a quick everybody's in the library opening books real fast for like three minutes. And then suddenly they know how to kill the monster. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Dave, that in DC. What, I'm stealing that idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'm totally going to steal idea. that. Uh, now, I mean, ta- as Kurt was reading it, all of us were like, "Oh yeah." I'm <laughs> taking notes. So <laughs> GMing. I, I think it really will help with pacing too, because it it sets yeah. that tone of like, "Shit, we're in some trouble. We got to get going." Uh, even though now we're back at the base. And Need I remind you, five minutes ago, we were jumping out of an airplane. Let's figure this out. <laughs> Let's not spend three hours of the game planning for it. Yeah. And that can happen, especially at con games with heists. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, uh, Kurt, Hannah ran a, a heist game, and he set a time limit for the players. He said, at this point, your in 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 game time is up because the heist has to happen because whatever it is you're going to get is going to move or leave. So he set up a time. It's like you have X amount of time to plan. Yep. So so I think that would absolutely increase the urgency of it if if you did it as a flashback. I have yeah. never ever once had people plan when I ran a heist game. They just find oh, out really? where it is and they just go. And I'm like, even in Shad- like Shadow, like Shadowrun. Yes, and I ran a Shadowrun game on the stream, and they did that. And I'm like, ah, uh, oh, I can't. I mean, I could just kill all of you right now and have you choose. I, I brought like 20 characters, but uh, that sounds like when our our heists in Shadowrun turn into Battle of the Bands. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Which if, happened more than once. If, if Shadowrun didn't want you to just run in the front door, why do they sell rocket launchers? <laughs> <laughs> because they're a thing called spiders. <laughs> oh yeah. <okay. laughs> All right. Uh, now, Tappy, you had a 
a, a, a concept for the the way the oh. pendulum in gaming may swing back a different direction. Well, I, I don't know if it's necessarily how it how it may swing back, but I, I especially love that I get to talk to all of you about this because it's something that I've been thinking about for a long time, but in the last like ten years, especially the last last like five years, I think. I mean, games have really swung towards. We are telling a story. We're we're sitting around and telling each other a story, um, as well as improv is awesome. We love improv. I love improv. You guys love improv. We're all like theater kids doing improv and like being silly and having a great time. And in fact, like we here on the show, when people talk about like people beginning, it's like, oh my my son is just beginning, and you know he he started you know being in character more. We're all like, yay, in character. Um, and that's that's great and fun, but we've gone so far over to that side uh, to where there's almost no game anymore in lots of RPGs. And, like, if you look at Modifius, or Mephid- whichever, yeah. the, M- the 2D20. Modifius. You, yeah. you, you start with um, Conan. Which is a relatively crunchy game. They have this really cool momentum system, and there's a lot of things to do. But as development goes with other games, you start getting to, uh, I think it's John Carter of Mars, where you, you don't really have, even have, have skills anymore, and you don't have like the skill trees per se that you would have for your character in Conan, which is more like a a game character, now you just have these rough shells for telling the story of your character. And then even so far to um, uh, uh, Star Trek, where you're good at everything. And uh, that fits the genre. But you have you have like a, a few little traits that are like kind of sort of special things you can do. And the rest of it is incredibly nebulous so that uh, the game system gets out of the way for your improv and for your storytelling. Um, but the thing is, there are people who like games. And we talk about this with D&D. Like, D&D has not gone away from a game. They've made a, a better um, board game than they've had in the past. A board game a lot of people find fun. But, like, there is space for people in the RPG hobby who don't like to talk in character. Mm-hmm. Um, and even even more so, like there are people who who might like the talking character but aren't aren't good at it. Especially if it, like I always play like the big bruiser. I want to be like a uh, a vamp character. Well, that's really hard for a lot of people. And so having to be in character, and you know, in in uh, Apocalypse World, that's they have a, a thing of uh, to do it, do it. Like you don't say I'm using this mechanic, you just start talking, and then the mechanic follows that. Um, and so I think it'd be really interesting because, really, like, more and more, as more of that game goes by the board, especially the people who really love storytelling and being in character, uh, kind of pushes it even further away. Um, so, I have... I, I'm going to try and run a game where there is no talking in character or as little as possible there is no like being in character is choosing what your character does not necessarily like improving a scene with somebody 
mm-hmm. because that's fun, and I think that's fun too. Um, but what is it like when you don't do that? How how many more things do you get done? Um, uh, how does that open up character selection for people? Um, uh, is it fun? I don't fucking know. I've never I've never played that game before. Um, but I, I first had this idea when. Um, uh, do you guys know Weird Miniatures and Malifaux? Did you ever mm-hmm. play that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they, uh, in like 2012, they're looking for an intern to start working on their role-playing system. And I really liked their game system. So I was like, I want to do this. Um, so I started putting together a game that was for people who are tabletop wargamers and not role-players. Um, and the idea was that scenes would, would be like playing a game of, of poker, a modified poker, uh, like a Texas Hold'em kind of thing. Um, and then that would inform what you could do in the scene, etc. Um, I ended up not doing it because I had the worst uh, uh, interview ever. Um, but this, this has kind of been in the back of my head for a while. Um, and so uh, I'm going to try and use um whatchamacallit uh fate to do this because that's a system that gets in the way yes, of yeah. <clears throat> role playing a lot and it's a game system you can be good at um i don't know if it's going to be game enough to fun to be fun um because if all you're doing is playing a game and that game isn't fun uh then you know it's, it's going to be a bust um but like what do you guys think about it? do you think that it's that it's possible to have a system, or would you like a system where you didn't have to do that? Or obviously, you know, if you if you only want to tell a story, etc., that system would get in the way of you. But can that swing? Do you think that pendulum can or should uh, swing back? And like, yeah, what do you think about a, a game where you don't pop fucking character? I, I mean, I think a lot of people already play this way. Uh, the OSR community is probably a big, uh, like a, a place where a lot of people play this way, right? They they play the old school D and D style where we're going out and we're finding treasure and we're solving puzzles and we're defeating the big bad or whatever. But we're not like we're not going to talk about it. Like we're not going to argue with the bartender. We're just going to get it done, right? Or you're going to tell me, and I as the player are going to solve your puzzle that you presented to me with my person. And I, I think that's a that's a current play style that is is pretty big in the OSR. I, I think it. I mean, I'm, I'm saying I agree with you. I think there's definitely room for it in the hobby. Like, um, uh, yeah, that's something that I I, I didn't say because I forgot to. Is OSR does something different than what I am interested in? Because okay. OSR specifically is player knowledge over character knowledge. Okay. Yeah. And so having a game where you can make the decisions for your character, but again, like you're not necessarily, uh, uh, like you're not tapping everything with a 10 foot pole. It would be like your, your character would automatically do that because of skills you have, et cetera, like that. Um, but it's kind of like that, but OSR is also very rules light. Yeah. Um, and the point of that is kind of, I've always seen as more like a um, an escape room is OSR, mm-hmm. right? And I'm I'm like, is can we play a game that will actually be fun? Um, 
Or can we get more game into the system without getting rid of those opportunities to roleplay? Have you looked at Lancer at all? Negative. Okay, so Lancer started out, I believe it started out as a 4th edition, like it was going to be a 4th edition hack or whatever, uh, of 4th edition D&D. It took a lot of the really good juicy bits out of 4th edition D&D, and then it took some of the like lighter things, lighter stuff that came out after that, and it sort of bolted it together. You ended up with a, a pretty complex combat system for when you're in your... It's a mech game uh, made by Abaddon, the person who does uh, Kill Six Billion Demons. Uh, the art is beautiful. Um, and so when you're in your mechs, you're in this like really complex combat system. And when you're out of your mechs and doing, like, I don't know, being a jockey and talking to people on the, the Starbase or whatever, you have this slimmed-down version of the game that has has some fate-like aspect-type things that give you bonuses to rolls. You have a simpler system that you're rolling with um, to sort of promote the... or to make it easier to do the sort of narrative play that can happen. But you could totally play that game in... I, I think someone said it in chat, in pawn mode, I think is what they call it, where you you are not embodying your character, but you are driving their actions. Is mm-hmm. So you could totally play that game in that method, like with that method, and I, I think it would work great. Because um, it's it's actually a really good gamey game, like um, for for what you're talking about, like where you just the game itself is fun and the mechanics are interesting. That is the one that I would hold up as like last year's best, uh, game, you know, mechanics heavy game. And it's on itch.io. Yeah. So is is that a trend that's beginning to happen? So Pathfinder Pathfinder Two came out, which is a, a pretty gamey game. Uh, and and does some really neat things with mechanics where you are really looking at like how many actions like it has instead of like deciding if you have major actions and minor actions and stuff you just have three action points kind of like how a lot of those tabletop uh, or the um, you know you have three AP or whatever and you can spend them to move your character or do a thing that's how uh, Pathfinder does it um, I think we're seeing more of those types of games like Pathfinder's doing it. Uh, Lancer did it pretty well, uh, where you have some like pretty pretty mechanics heavy combat stuff going on in, while you're in the mechs. Um, I haven't seen a bunch of other big success stories uh, for like more gamey games, but I took I definitely think there could be. Savage Worlds is putting out a Pathfinder game. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, a game doesn't have to have a lot of mechanics in order to be fun, because yeah. like. Uh, Chess is relatively like the rules of it are relatively simple, or like Hold'em is is relatively simple, but there's go. a lot of choices and stuff. Fucking go, go, Jesus, <laughs> that's a hard ass <laughs> game, and it's the simplest game <laughs> ever. <laughs> and uh, I just it would be it would be really neat to start seeing more games go that way and people creating more games like that because otherwise we're just beginning to just get settings. And so, like, one of the things that I love about what you guys are doing when you're, like, looking at these things, like, where the camera is or where, like, what the shot is, framing what is happening that informs people of what is happening and gives a different game. But, like, if I'm looking at these 2D20 games, like, uh, I can't really talk much about the the Dune game uh, because they'll sue me. But, like... (laughs) <laughs> there's a progression that's happening um, 
with that company and it's a progression that it's kind of a bummer i think um just because they're kind of like how how sidebars can inform what you're doing and open opportunities etc systems can do that as well um they don't necessarily they don't have to just get in the way of, of things um and yeah, boy, I'm I'm actually going to do this in Fate uh, using a slight modification of the Dresden file system because that game got so much in the way of role playing that I'm really excited to see what happens with that game if you don't have to worry about it because um, that might be fun. It might not. It might still be frustrating and just light it on fire. I don't know. I'm actually interested to go take another stab at Fate. This is the flip side of why you want to look at it. Now that I've played and run a bunch of PBTA games, and I understand what Fiction First is meant to be like at a table, I think Fate might actually be interesting if you try to forget it exists while you're playing it. See, I think and you'd... just let the rule, like, bump into the rules instead of trying to game it, like the whole plus two fishing thing that would happen with, uh, oh, well, we got to build up our aspects so we can defeat the boss. Like, if you just try to forget the game exists, and then you're like, oh, but I do this cool thing. Why isn't there a mechanic for that? And you're like, well, there is. I just write it on a note card, and that's an aspect now, and you get plus two if you use it. Like, that sounds really good, but players like to use the mechanics to get to win sometimes. So yeah, that's where yeah, we I'm... ran into problems with fate. Um, being able to stack plus twos is a big problem with that system, and I'm yeah. totally getting rid of that. Oh, well, there you go. Because <laughs> that's a problem. Every time I played it, every time I played it, yeah, that the, the aspect fishing, and then it's like, oh, hey, the mechanic just managed to do brain surgery. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just like a car. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, I mean, brains are like an engine. Yeah. <laughs> you got your you got your pistons in here. <laughs> uh, uh, Jolene in the chat room said, uh, "I used to love Fate, but now every combat is the same to me, and there's only one right way to do combat as a player." Yeah. Yep. Yell the vampire to death because they have a lot lower um, charisma or whatever defense than they do social defense than they do uh, physical defense. So you just demoralize them and then tell them to go out in the sun <laughs> call them names and they are taken they... out that's, that's not fair that only happened like four or five times <laughs> listen it's not my fault that the game is built a certain way <laughs> well and that's that is the, the problem with a poorly constructed game when you're relying on it to be gamey is that yeah there's if there is one good way to do it and 12 harder ways to do it nobody is going to i like i just picked up skyrim again and i had to patch the hell out of it because there are so many like things that i found where you can kind of game the system and like have a two billion damage sword <laughs> um so i i had to patch all of that or else just my brain is going to want to do it i, I want to actually play the game yeah as opposed to you know not right I, I feel you yeah whenever i know there's an exploit it's hard to just play the game because i mean there's a right way to solve this problem <laughs> exactly All right. so it, it's an interesting design problem i think because you really have to pay attention to 
kind of the mouthfeel of the game and like what like how to get people's interest in certain things as opposed to waiting around for their turn yeah um and what options you have etc while not giving so many mechanics that or so many dice rolls or so many different types of dice rolls um that it uh yeah Another game, so this is a board game, but have you played Gloomhaven or, or heard anything about Gloomhaven? I have heard about Gloomhaven. I haven't played it. So I'm, I'm not going to advocate that anyone goes and, and steals it, but uh, what I will say is if you own the box, it's available on Tabletop Simulator, and you know, you're know you allowed a digital copy of things you own. So uh, you could definitely play it on Tabletop Sim just to check it out. It's got some really interesting mechanics where you have uh, you, you have a hand of cards and act, actions on the top and bottom of the cards, and you have to play two cards and pick a top and a bottom. It, it's got a really good uh, fantasy RPG, old-school fantasy RPG feel without really any of the in-character stuff, mm-hmm. which is the one of the other things that sort of popped in my head, that it's, it's outside of that um, tabletop game realm, but it, the way that you're describing described wanting to play it feels like the way that we play Gloomhaven. Mm-hmm. That is not an inexpensive game. It is. It is a very expensive game. <laughs> we had a friend back at back the Kickstarter. Yeah. So uh, we didn't actually buy it. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, own it adjacent. It's not as bad as what is it? Kingdom Death. That's like one hundred and twenty. We also because our twelve hundred. That's an expensive also, game. We also own that adjacent as a yeah, friend. Another another Kickstarter. group member. <laughs> so we played it. But is we it good? Know. It's hard. It's hardcore. It's so mean. That game is so mean. I died. I was so mad because I because like weird little tick weird little things will happen to your character, and I can't help but latch on to characters. I'm like, oh, this guy's so cool. He's got this weird thing, and oh yeah, I'm like this broken person, and I'm going out there, and then I just immediately die after like thirty minutes of being <laughs> like, I'm gonna be the best. But the main mechanic of that game is that you you are the village, not the people. I know, but I can't not be attached to my stupid little dude. I can't play Kingdom Death. I don't have it in me. I get attached too easy. I had a character whose whole body just turned into, like, the bone person and then, like, was amazing for a whole game and then just died. Yeah. Like, it that, that game is hardcore. It's... Yeah. Get wrecked. It's hard. Yeah, Kingdom Death is no joke. And the visuals on it are just out there. Have you seen some of the miniatures that... I have. One of the, like, first bosses is... It's sort of an elk, but the whole undercarriage is open and it's ribcage's teeth, and it just eats you... Like, its its power is it just runs you over and eats you. This is this is one hundred percent cage mouth. This is one hundred percent the kind of villain that I would have in a game. Oh, yes. so gross. Things and that awesome. are so disturbing. I, I love that. It is very disturbing. Um, the phoenix is made of hands. That's like its wings sweet. are hands, just hands, a bunch of hands. Yeah, King Kingdom Death is, is a lot. Sorry, going off on Kingdom Death there. <laughs> <laughs> but I, back to Tappy's point of playing a role-playing game where you just engage with the mechanics and you don't role-play. I think the reason why Kurt and I are both very apprehensive about this topic is in our role-playing group, we tend to be the only two that role-play. I want to do a quick point of order, is that yeah. you're still role-playing when you're saying what your character does. 
Right, right. As I opposed to, like, improv and talking. Improv, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. So... Mm, I would call that narration. Friends, I, I more, more what? I'm sorry. I, I would call that narration, but go ahead. Finish your, your point, Kate. Yes. So our, our, <laughs> our group of friends tend to already narrate their actions more than improv with with each other and they'll say like my character does or I do this rather than talk to each other or talk to NPCs unless forced to (laughs) right (laughs) and Kurt and I are the ones that typically engage in more of the improvisation and are the ones that are like come on guys talk to us (laughs) Um, and so I think that's why at least for me that's part of my apprehension of going like yes I can see where this could potentially be fun however I can also tell you that there have been many games where I was bored off my ass (laughs) and see that's that's the thing is you have to like actually have a system that is designed to make it so people are not bored Right. Right? And we don't have that. And when people are like, we, we have a, a situation where, like, if you're not actually, like, improving and acting and interacting with other people, it, it is just, you know, going down the line of what's happening. Right. Um, and you need to have some way of uh, having, having, like, different things to do or making decisions, etc. that isn't just... Uh, you know, either just following whatever story the GM has for you, or just yeah, like, well, yeah. Like, I go into edition, the store and then I get stuff. Yeah, can I? Ninth right. edition, not great for this kind of experiment, right. but fate might be. Well, because also I think fifth edition gets out of your way a lot when you're not in combat and right. the gaminess is in combat, and right. if something like this works. It would be something where the gaminess is outside of combat. Mm-hmm. You need systems right. that have like downtime actions or thing, things that you do when you're not in combat. Things that are keeping you still engaged. Things that it's, are still interesting. It's a very interesting concept because, like the the whole idea of can you make that fun? Because I mean, we've we've. I, I've been in games too where it's like D&D and, no, and everybody just saying my character does this. Right. Um, but I feel like it should be possible. Well, I, I, it seems like, I'm going to kind of rephrase what I think you're saying, is that you want to make a game where the game itself is fun enough that you don't need role-playing to make the game entertaining. Yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because that's what you get with a lot of with a lot of very very modern games is they're extremely rules light to the point where the fun is the role playing. It's not the friends we make along the way. It's a, yeah, it's yeah. the friends we make along the way. <laughs> <laughs> and that's interesting. That's also a very daunting yeah. task. Well, yeah. I, I think we've we've in a lot of us who run games or whatever have have forgotten that ga- that the game part is also supposed to be fun. Yeah, because mm-hmm. otherwise, why do it? Right, and that's why we've gone this so far to the side because the answer is let's not right and so maybe that's something that we can think about even just when we're playing other systems of like how can i make the system more fun or how can i use the mouthfeel of the system to make 
using it more fun as opposed to just throwing it out and My, not using it. A, a suggestion yeah. I would make to put in as a component for your game is a press the press your luck mechanic that always creates interest. Because have you ever have you ever played freaking ever played zombie dice? Yes. That, yes. It's extremely simple, very elegant game. But boy, you get a group of people around a table playing it, and everyone's like, "Oh no!" <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like something I about. I still want to make a pass your pass the pigs game. Pass the pigs. Oh, I mean the, like the, you know the little like the like, card game. The, no, no, the, you the, roll the little pigs. pigs. Oh, and they stack on each Let other. It's, it's over there. Yeah, uh, you, and the, the way they land depends on how many points you get. It's 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 zombie dice, but with pigs. Yeah, I'm pretty sure those and uh, if you get a certain configuration of the way the pig statues land, then you lose your points. It's it's an old game. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I played that before. They're great to carry with you when you're gonna like be in a car and be stopping at greasy spoons along the way, and yeah. you know, back when you went places and did things. <laughs> Madness in the before times. In the before times, <laughs> yes. <laughs> restaurants, you say? Watching you. Um, oh, those are the yeah, restaurants. I, mean, I remember those. Those are those big things that are covered with plywood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Yahtzee. There's another one, right? Mm-hmm. There's a dice rolling mechanic, right? That people just rolled fucking dice, mm-hmm. yeah. and it was a popular enough game. Farkle. That, uh, what's that? Mm-hmm. Farkle. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. So, so yeah. can we can we use these concepts to just kind of inform interesting and new stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I don't think that a game where there is no role playing is the answer. I don't really. I don't. I don't want to make that game, but I want to try it to just kind of see how I as a game master and how a system can like be stress tested in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not be deadly dull. I still and think all that your friends add role playing back into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's that might actually happen. Of course. Yeah, yeah probably. will. that's uh, that's why I really want to get a group of role players together and play diplomacy. I want to do that so bad. <laughs> to be so much fun. And uh, we are not amused. I want to play Queen Victoria. <laughs> I, I think I think you might be able to look at dating sims too as ways to build mechanics around um, around social interaction, mm-hmm. like things like Monster Prom and all those all those kind of games where you are trying to say the right thing it would require the the only problem with that is you require a right answer yeah social social mechanics are one of the more difficult things to do in any game mm-hmm. and i personally think that the proper way to do like persuasion is just trying to figure out how much that person likes you mm-hmm. and the persuasion is getting them to like you not saying the thing that convinces them right yeah, yeah. right cuz you know that whole goes back to 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 bias, etc. If you can make a good first impression, then that informs everything else. Yeah. Um, but there are also certain things like you can't like fast talking yourself past the guard. Like that doesn't fast talking is is usually a confidence thing that somebody has again like a, this initial thing. But you you build trust with that person, right? So mm-hmm. you, you like if you don't have a pass, you're not getting past that guard. Or right? you find someone you find a mark who's really 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 dumb. Right, right. <laughs> um, but that's still that's like a mark, not like a guard. Even. Right, like it's yeah. really hard to tell a guard. No, no, no. I really do belong here. Like even a dumb guard. No, I don't have a badge. Yeah, I got it's at home. 
Yeah, I let me in anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, I, 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 believe me, I used to work at McDonnell Douglas, and I had a security <laughs> badge. And I can't tell you how many times I had to fucking drive home, <laughs> even though they all recognized me and I knew a couple of them by name. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mr. V, you're going to have to go get that badge. It's policy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants to get in trouble. No. Yep. No. Or no lose their job. People people Sorry, follow orders real well. <laughs> and they're not going to follow your orders. Nope. Um, unless they decide, unless they really like you for some reason. Right. But, uh, yeah. I think, I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to try. I, I, I think, think so. There's, yeah. Yeah. There, at the very least, if it fails miserably... Uh, at least I'll get a little more information on this because I don't know anybody who has specifically tried to do a thing like this. Right. Where, like, it's so... The game itself is so fun that even if you don't roleplay, you still can, or um, uh, act, etc. It's it's still a good time. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Well, if you're looking for playtesters. Yeah. I will totally... I, I am not going to do this game on a stream. <laughs> the, the game that is most likely char- to ever run to fail, including the first game I ever ran. My character looks at him suspiciously. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna uh, uh, one more time, Kurt. What's the URL for uh, people who want to go to the get the Kickstarter for Lighthearted? Yeah, uh, go to Lighthearted.games. Grab your Lighthearted, a magical '80s RPG. Excellent. Uh, yes, the Kickstarter goes live on Tuesday the 26th. Tuesday. And you guys are, will be back uh, not next week, but the week after, correct? I believe so. Okay. And we run we run for a month, so we'll Good. be back during the Kickstarter. Sometime. Excellent. Excellent. All righty. Where's my... Uh-oh. Let me see. Oh, there it is. Thank you for joining us for Season 28, Episode 2 of Happy Jack's Over G Podcast. My name is Stu. This is Tappy. I'm Kate. And I've been Kurt. And thank you very much, and we'll see you next week at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, happyjacks.org slash live, or watch us wherever you get your podcasts, or listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, you can see us on the YouTubes as well. And that's it, and stay safe, and we'll see you in a week. Thank you very much. When you no problem have, you don't want to make. The preceding program has been a presentation of the Angry Folk Media Empire. Knock on to these men are nihilists. There's nothing to be afraid of.